I just like to give you all a very warm welcome. I was preparing this morning, and there are one or two verses that came to me. Um, Hebrews 10.22 says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Does, your, does anybody's conscience bother them here? Right, it shouldn't. I'm telling you, it shouldn't. Your conscience should not bother you. You have to be open to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But Christ, in verse 12, has offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Now that's a process, and it's something that God does. I've been listening to Bible studies on Galatians, and the Galatians were being dragged into legalism. And Paul says to them, did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? In other words, are you trying your best to get rid of the stuff that's in your life? That's legalism. That is legalism. And if you're trying to do it in your own strength, you're getting in the way of God doing it for you. It's the grace of God that does these things for us. He is the one who does it. As we draw near to him, in the same way as you draw ice close to a radiator, it falls away. As we draw near to the Holy Spirit, he will work in our hearts. And he will change us from the inside. It's not a matter of us doing it for him. If we try and do it for him, it won't work, folks. It won't work. And often when I close a meeting, I have a doxology. One of them is from the book of Jude, which I love. I thought it would be good to start with it, rather than finish with it. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to prevent, present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Saviour, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. That is the God that we serve. So let's give him some praise and worship this morning. Thank you, Father, that you are here in our midst. And, Father, I just pray, Lord, that you, as we draw near to you, Lord, in praise and worship, that your Holy Spirit would work in our lives and change us into those people that you want us to be. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Take it away, Sarah. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Lovely to see you. We're going to start by singing Hosanna, Praise is Rising. Let's lift up the name of Jesus this morning. And um, just wanted to share that, you know, we are a light in this place and in the town. And we had an amazing time yesterday in the town, just sharing Jesus' love, you know. And it's incredible that every word we speak or say, God can use. The Holy Spirit can take, even if we think it's nothing, take something small that we do or say to someone. And we might see them in heaven one day because the Holy Spirit can use that little seed and make it grow. And, um, you know, let's just worship the Lord together this morning. And as we do, let's pray as well that he will lead us by spirit in everything that we can see this world really transformed by his love. Because people are very needy out there. Hallelujah. Let's um, join, join us, stand to sing if you want to. You don't need to stand, obviously. Praise is rising. We're going to sing Hosanna.
are not fighting right now because you need to win. You have won. Hallelujah. You are the victor, Jesus. We are on the winning side. These people have belong to you. They need to be saved. You died for them. The devil will not win. You are the victor. Hallelujah, Jesus. We worship you this morning. Hallelujah, Jesus. Everyone needs compassion, a love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me. Everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of the Savior.
shown to save them. No greater love. Lord, let us not waste what you've done. Give us your boldness, your power. Give us your heart and your compassion.
to share this morning and that reminder that salvation is God's work it's his business from start to finish and we can easily start to play up our part way too much as Christians in this process so that's really what I want to look at today but that's a little glimpse I want to start off with the Toblerone um, you're probably thinking why on earth have we got this here it wasn't a gift for Ron but maybe if someone can answer a question on this, they might be able to come and see me at the end and they could have this Toblerone. So um, the question I want to ask is, does anybody know what shape this Toblerone is? What's the official term? Put your hands up. Let's all, oh, oh, oh Ruth, you're, you're shouting now. I can't choose you now. You should know that. Well, I'm not going to choose my mum because that's too close to mum. It's a triangular prism. Round of applause. If you can come and see me at the end, you can have this if you like chocolate. It's a triangular prism, okay? And the reason we know that is because we have the privilege of living in this thing called three dimensions, right? We can see from all angles this shape is a triangular prism. It's got two triangles on it and it's got three rectangles. Okay? And the only reason I know what it's called is because I Googled it. <laughs> but I want us to imagine for a minute, and this is quite hard because we live in this three-dimensional world. I want us to imagine that we only lived in a two-dimensional world, okay, relating to this Toblerone. Okay? Imagine if we could only see this from a two-dimensional perspective, i.e. as if we were looking at a snapshot, still image of the Toblerone, okay? If I was to sort of come somewhere over here and hold it up, what shape can you guys see over there? Triangle, right? And if I held it exactly right for your perspective, that's all you would see. Close one eye, lose the depth, it's a triangle. That, that's all you could see, that's all you would ever know that a Toblerone was. It would be a triangle, but from over here, if you looked at it, what shape is it? It's a rectangle. Okay, so again, if you had to pause that, if you could only relate to this Toblerone in two dimensions, you would be absolutely convinced it was a rectangle, nothing more. Okay, so the people over here would be like, oh yeah, I've seen a Toblerone, it's a triangle. What? Triangle? It's a rectangle. It's obviously a rectangle. And over here they'd be saying, no, it's obviously a triangle. How can a triangle be a rectangle? But you see, that would be because you'd only be able to see it from two dimensions, okay? And it's a helpful illustration to kind of try and get our heads around the fact that we live in this physical earthly realm, but God is so beyond it that he sees everything from <laughs> More than three dimensions, four, five, six, maybe a hundred dimensions, okay, the way God views things. Ten, thank you, Ron, it's ten apparently. I knew it was more than three. But he sees it from such a bigger focal point than us. And so, when God chose to reveal himself to us through his word, the Bible, and he, these words were written down, it was going to be pretty obvious that when we tried to read it and understand who God was, now and again, if not more often than not, we were going to come across spiritual Toblerones. Okay, things that from our perspective, our earthly view, we couldn't quite wrap our heads around. Because we would read one passage, and it would be like God would be saying it's a triangle, and then we turn to another book in the Bible, and God would be saying the same thing's a rectangle, and our heads sort of blow up a little bit, okay? But, but that's okay. I want to say this morning that that's okay. Because we're not supposed to be able to understand God, are we? 
we just have to sort of live with the mystery until we're actually in heaven. The point I want to make is that because we're fallen human beings, we have bias, okay? And we're not very balanced as people. We would rather jump onto one side or the other. Have you noticed this? Humanity. We like to be, you know, right wing or left wing. We want to be triangle or rectangle. We want to put things in a box, okay? We can't do that with God. And if we try to do that, what happens is, if we just embrace the triangle, we miss out on all of this truth. The problem with that is that Jesus says clearly in his word that truth and life and freedom are all connected. Right? So if we, if we choose to ignore parts of the Bible because we don't really sit right with us or we don't understand them or we just jump on to one side of the Toblerone, we miss out on life and freedom. Jesus said you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. A little example of this, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, when Jesus came down to earth, Jesus wasn't suddenly 50% God and 50% man. He didn't like lose half of his deity and embrace some godliness. He, he was 100% man and 100% God. See, that, those maths don't work from our perspective, okay? He can't be 100% both from our perspective, but he is. And so if we embrace one side, Jesus' humanity, we get all these wonderful aspects of that, we can relate to him on a human level, but we can't resolve the God part or it falls apart. And similarly, the other way around. So we need to embrace both sides, okay, and live with the mystery sometimes. So the reason I'm starting off with the Toblerone, and I've done 10 minutes already on the, on the intro, so just shut me down if you need to. Um, but what I felt God showed me recently um, from a passage of scripture has to do with this, and it has to do with probably the biggest spiritual Toblerone in the Bible. We're not talking about one of these, we're talking about, you know, the duty-free airport Toblerone, so, or the Christmas one, the Christmas edition that you can hang off the envelope, right? It's this tension in the Bible between this free will and God's election, sometimes called free choice and predestination, and you get people on one side of the argument and they they have all the verses and they're battering out this side and the other people on this side battering out their view. And the problem with that is the fact that people argue about this shows that they've taken a side on it, right? And that's the problem. We can't take the side. We need to hold them both together. And as I say, this passage sort of deals with this and it has to do with this. And we need to be open to just see the truth of it because that's where the freedom is. So... If you would like to turn to John 6, that's the passage I want to look at today. And just as you're doing that, just sort of on the back of what Ron said earlier, okay, I want us to remember that the Bible presents salvation in its wholeness, in its entirety, as a gift. Eternal life is a gift. It says in Romans 6, the free gift of God is eternal life. Free gift. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. When we think about someone giving a gift, if you go out and you need to buy a present for somebody, right? You've got two people involved in that. There's you buying the present, and there's the person who's going to receive the present, all right? So the person who's buying the present, they have to have the idea for what the gift's going to be. Well, that's what I'm going to get them. They have to go out to the shop. They have to get it off the shelf. They have to pay for it. They have to take it home. They have to wrap it up. They have to come and see you, and they have to present the gift. What does the receiver have to do? Just do that. All right. So if salvation is a gift, then it's a gift of God. Let's not play up our part in this, all right? Where's most of the activity happening? On that side of the equation, right? Exactly. And I'm preaching to myself as always. You know, God speaks to me about this so often because I mess up on this in my own heart. So what I want to do, I want to be really trendy and modern and do what most TV shows and movies do these days and start at the end, so the beginning. Have you noticed that? The films don't seem to start at the beginning anymore. You dropped straight in somewhere near the end or the middle. Um, and it's a good dramatic device, but this was actually how God spoke to me through this passage. It was kind of back to front, so that's how I kind of want to bring it to you today, if I may. I'm in good company because Shakespeare used to do this. He would get up and some, someone would stand on the stage and say, Romeo and Juliet are going to die. Enjoy the play. <laughs> <laughs> okay, 
Okay, so I'm going to blow the ending of it here. But I want you to imagine the scene. We're in Capernaum, all right, near the Sea of Galilee, okay? Jesus has just turned a few loaves and fish into enough to feed 5,000 people, or men, plus women and children, all right? It's an incredible miracle. And the crowds are gathering around Jesus, okay? Now, it's at this point where Jesus gives probably the most poorly received sermon in the whole Bible, okay? It's a massive crowd of people who have seen the miracles coming after Jesus. And I want you to understand, obviously, this is in the perspective of the fact Jesus hasn't died yet, and even his closest disciples don't understand about the atonement. They don't think Jesus is going to die. It's all foreign to them at this point. And Jesus stands there in front of the crowds, and he says this, and imagine the shock of this. Jesus says, most solemnly, I'm being serious here, you cannot have any life in you whatsoever unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood. Jesus said that to this crowd. Okay. What do you think the crowd's response was? Yes, and his disciples as well. And it says that some of his disciples, possibly not the twelve, but some general disciples said to him, this is an offensive and unbearable message. Who can be expected to listen to such teaching? And at this point, many, it says in John 6, many desert him. It says they go back to their own associations. They no longer follow him because they're just like, what is this man talking about? I just can't put up with that. Eat his flesh and drink his blood. I'm out. And they're off, okay? So the sermon doesn't go particularly well in that regard. But then it's kind of down to the, the, the 12 and maybe a few of the people standing around. And Jesus turns to the 12 and he says this. And this is the key to this whole thing. He says, are you not going to go as well? Why haven't you left? You heard what I said. I mean, Jesus knew they didn't understand it. And Simon says this, and this is beautiful. And let this resonate with your heart. He says, Lord, to whom will you go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. That's why Simon sticks around, despite that sermon. That's why he sticks around, because he knows that. But the bigger question is, how does he know that? Is he a particularly smart man, Simon? Has he got a theology degree? Certainly not. The reason's found in Matthew 16, and that's another take on this passage, and it says, Blessed are you, Simon, for man hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. So if you know today, you know in your heart, you can't go to anyone else, you've seen the life that Jesus gives, believed in him. That's God who's done that. No person can do that. That's God's work. And yes, we have to believe. But that's the Toblerone thing. But don't get hung up on that just now and miss the, the glorious work that God has done in giving this gift. Have we got any time left? Two minutes. Two minutes, right. So I'm going to fast forward very quickly to John... 37, sorry, John 6, 37. There is no John 37, you won't find it. John 6, 37 to 40. And this is really the passage, and we're moving backwards here. This is really the passage that highlighted why Peter could say what he said later on in the passage. And this is beautiful, and there is so much in this that highlights, again, what Ron said at the start, that it's him who's able to keep us from falling and to present us perfect, right? Because from start to finish, the salvation is shown to be God's work on our behalf. We just receive it, okay? So let's look at this. This is Jesus' words, and this is on the back of the crowds, and they, they really don't get it. You can go back, we don't have time to do this. You can read this yourself. Like the crowds are coming after Jesus, and they don't get the spiritual aspect of this at all. They just... Focused on the flesh. Jesus even said, you didn't even come after me because I did that miracle with the fish and the loaves. You only came after me because I fed you. 
and you have full bellies. And then they start asking, what work can we do, God, to please, God, what work can we do to please God? And he says, the work is believing in me, just believe. And then they ask for a physical sign, even though he's just done that miracle, and Jesus says, no, 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 don't ask for manna from heaven. I'm the manna. I'm the manna. It's me. It's me. Right? So Jesus then goes on to say this. And he says, just before he says this, he says, you've seen me, you don't believe in me. This is the contrast. All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me will never drive away. And this is the reason for that. Have you ever noticed that Jesus gives a reason why he won't drive away the people that God gives to him? For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. So if Jesus was to drive away one that God gave him, then he wouldn't be doing the will of God. And we know that Jesus can only do the will of God because he's perfect. So he goes on, this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those you've given me, but raise them up at the last day. This is the Father's heart. So my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day. And I was reminded of a few chapters earlier in the book of John, in John 3, where Jesus puts salvation so plainly and so clearly. And he uses the illustration of when Moses had the people in the wilderness and these snakes came upon the people and they bit the people and they were going to die. All right? And God told Moses to lift up a stick with a bronze serpent on it. And all they had to do to be saved from death, all they had to do was look to that. Just look to it. Okay? And they would be saved by God's power. By God's power. And Jesus said, so it is with the Son of Man. He says here, everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. And the promises that will be raised up on the last day. So I acknowledge this is a Toblerone situation, all right? But if we get caught up in the, the fleshy brain confusion of it, we'll miss out on the truth. And if we miss out on the truth, we miss out on the freedom and the life in those words that Jesus spoke. I'm actually angry for what God has done and is doing for us. I think he deserves all of our praise and worship. So, Sarah, are you bringing the team with you or not? They've got eyes. Okay. Uh, I'll just we'll, 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 I'll just I'll just read that passage from Jude again because I think it's such a fantastic thing that what God has done for us. Now unto Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless for the presence of His glory with great joy. That's how much He thinks of you. To the only God, our Saviour, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority for all time, now and forever. Amen. Amen. So we'll finish with, the, with Sarah leading us in praise, and you can get up and leave during that time if you wish, if you're pressed for time. Yeah, we'll finish by singing Man of Sorrows, and thank you for that word. All the way through, from the beginning to the end, God's word is reminding us that we don't have to do anything because he did it all. What a wonderful, no wonder he said he takes a burden off us and his burdens light because he's done it all for us. Um, let's sing Man of Sorrows together.